This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Hi, this is Taylor Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of Kick-Ass International thrillers and this taylor stevens show with my good friend stephen campbell where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time <laughs> you know that's the first time you've ever called me stephen campbell in the intro to the show after all of these years i didn't you didn't <laughs> i didn't know i just kind of blanked in my head i was just like all right here we go and i just so I well, you completely threw me off when you that said that weighty hefty pause <laughs> So, Happy New, New Year. Year, Steve. Yeah, Happy We're New Year. We're starting fresh. Yes. <laughs> yes, and Happy New Year to to everyone out there. Since I can't ask all of you uh, how your holidays were, I'll I'll start with Taylor. Taylor, how how were the holidays for you guys? Uh, exciting. <laughs> good. <laughs> Full of drama, <laughs> but otherwise very good. We're all alive, happy, healthy. Uh, we survived it. Everybody's been gifted things that they like and had great food and drink and i can't even remember if i told the story about what happened at thanksgiving which is already way back when when i sliced my thumb um and i, I don't uh, remember a thumb slicing like story the, but presumably you have healed oh you don't no <laughs> well it was like my thumb just randomly happened to get between the turkey and a very sharp knife and um i i, I it went deep i cut a vein and it just oh. so happened that one of my good friends that was there that night is a nurse, and they had a med kit in their car, and they uh, brought the med kit in and shot my hand up full of lidocaine. And while every, I was is on the, the dining room table, everybody's just watching this operation take place, and I'm like refusing to look because I know as long as I don't look, it's not going to hurt. And um, and then and they had to cauterize the vein and then stitched it up. So it probably would have been maybe involved a trip to an, emer- an emergency clinic or something on Thanksgiving, except knowing me, I'd be like, ah, I'll just put pressure on it and then I'll super glue it shut. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, that, that was Thanksgiving, which was many, many podcast episodes ago. And then Christmas rolled around and um, it was just, you know, life. It's just the days fly by so fast. I, I don't even know where they went and i'm like how are we already in 2022 i i don't even that just doesn't even sound right to say it um and so now as we record this like life is just finally to sort of maybe kind of settle back into some rhythm and then right around this exact same time last year well a month almost the day in a week that massive freeze that storm rolled through and just mm. froze the entire state of texas and we had all the stories that came out of that and we just got this deep freeze again like we were expecting it to go below freezing and i wake up in the morning it's like 19 degrees and i was like no this was not part of the discussion <laughs> nobody said this is okay we are not doing this again um and th- thankfully i remembered to bring uh my trees inside I was like, ah, oh, they'll just be okay inside the garage for one night, and and then I'll pull them out and put them back in. But then the temperatures drop so much that it's like, okay, I hope you guys can survive two days without daylight because that's what's happening. 
because I'm not moving you to the greenhouse now. Um, I hope they're okay. I'm just like, seriously? Seriously? Again? Um, but the animals all seem to be fine. And um, the, the, the geese that I had in the house just got to be so much, just too much. Um, so I had to put them outside, and I didn't want them running around. Like, I knew, what was I going to do with them if they're still not feathered? So mm. a big, deep freeze like this would, would be too much for them. So I have them in, like, this brooder house that I used to use for chicks it's not built for geese i mean they grow really really fast and prior to the freeze coming in it was just like plug my nose close my eyes this is temporary i'm not looking i'm not going to stress about how many flies are growing in here and just the just the disaster that's in here it's temporary it's temporary and then the freeze came and i'm like huh at least that part worked out nicely (laughs) there's no more flies (laughs) so i still do need to move them out but i'm waiting for the the worst of the freeze to pass and other than that, everything's just like, I'm happy it's over, and now we get a chance to try again. And for content today, we are we have the opportunity. We got an email over the course of, I don't know, it was some time ago, actually, because we talked about it uh, before our little break. Uh, but we got an email from someone with some questions and some material. So uh, we're going to start working through that. So tell us what we're going to be looking forward to over the course of the next few episodes. This is what we call a hack the craft submission. And for those who are new or might not be familiar with what that means, it's when a listener bravely, very bravely, submits some written material for the show. And usually it's, you know, it's a small segment. I really try not to accept anything that's over a thousand words because then it just gets too unwieldy. And then they'll, they'll submit the material, they'll provide an explanation of whatever issues they're having with it or questions they might have that relates to the material that they're submitting. And then I have a go at that material uh, on, together on the show here. We go over it line by line and uh, we discuss that material specifically and, and answer the question specifically to that material. And I mean, the line, the line editing and, and the editing and story solving problems is really just I show you basically how I would personally handle it. And my goal when doing a show like this is basically threefold. I mean, first, naturally, I want to provide as much useful guidance as I can to help solve whatever issues or questions that the author is having. That's why they're sending me the material, right? And so I want to be helpful to them and make sure that I'm not just wasting their time or your time. And then the second is is to make sure that that piece that they sent in, that I can get it as strong as I feel I can make it, even if the work that I'm doing on it doesn't necessarily specifically relate back to what the author was asking. So what I mean is they'll send in a piece asking about something specific, and I'm going to try and address that specific thing as much as possible, but I can't help but notice other issues if they exist. And so I'll address those two in the meantime. And then the third is to find a way to present all of that back to you, the listeners, in a way that that would allow you to take it and apply the same concepts and the same advice to your own material, no matter how different it is from the material that we're looking, looking at. So having material to look at is so much more helpful than talking about a topic in generality. 
because then we have something we know exactly what we're talking about and we can get dig down and get more specific. But just, just because it's very accurate and specific to that piece doesn't mean that it can just be converted over apples to apples to whatever it is you're working on, because every work is different. And even if it's the same issue, it's going to have different factors surrounding it. So the goal is to present the material in such a way that you can adapt it to your own situation, hopefully. So when we do shows like this, we tend to move through the material fairly quickly. But when I start getting to the nitty gritty and we're working with, you know, change, deleting a single word or changing a single word or whatever to try and strengthen a sentence, it can kind of get difficult to follow that if you're just listening to it. So when we get into actual moving words around and line editing and stuff, we always record these episodes on video as well. We record my screen as I'm doing it. So that way, anyone who wants to go back, follow along, pause, rewind, whatever, they can do it at their own pace. They can see what we're talking about. It just, it helps to make that much more sense when you can actually see it. So those videos, when we do them, they get posted on Patreon and the links are always put in the show notes. You don't need a Patreon account to be able to view the videos. Um, unlike a lot of the other material that goes up on my Patreon page, those videos, anything that comes off this podcast is always free for listeners, friends of the show. But that said, if you do find these episodes helpful, it'd mean a lot to me if you'd consider becoming a sponsor. It takes a lot of time, considerable amount of time to put one of these, I want to say episodes, but it's actually going to be a series of shows to together. So even it's just a $3 monthly pledge, even a dollar, even though that's not one of the levels that's there, all of that adds up and it goes a really long way to helping compensate for the time. So that frees me up to be able to do this. And I'm not worried and stressing about, no, I can't, I don't have the time. I got to do something else to pay the bills instead. So anyway, if you would consider that, I would be honored. Moving on. Today's material, it was sent to us by MZ Lowe who's a longtime listener and a friend of the show and who has submitted questions before, submitted Hack the Craft line edit material in the past. And I, I am quite excited about this particular submission for a few reasons. First is that MZ is already a really strong storyteller and she's a clean writer and she's got all the big picture stuff sorted out. So when I work with her material, I'm able to look at it on more of a granular level. It's similar to what it's like when I go back over my own first or second drafts. And to me, that type of work, the line by line level editing, that's the funnest part of this whole process. It's a brainier, more tedious part of it for a lot of people, but to me, it's like puzzle solving. So that's where it gets fun. Um, and so in, in addition to it being fun, which, you know, that's for me, yay. But even more than that, that granular level of line editing, it opens up space to talk about really specific craft techniques, craft discussions that aren't really part of the conversation when we're speaking in these general, how do I do this or how do I do that? So it's fun because it's different. It's new. These are not things that we are discussing all the time. I'm super excited about that. And then secondly, not only did MZ provide this really fantastic, fun material to work with, she also sent in some very specific questions to go with the material. And 
I don't even know if she needed answers to those questions or if she's just like, hey, I've got some ideas for your show here. Let me help you out. Either way, it's perfect. I'm so excited by it. And when we can combine those specific questions with this specific material that those questions relate to that it's referencing, it's like it opens up this portal to this cave, this undiscovered cave of writing treasures. We've never been here before. And there is a reason I'm telling you all this, and that is because outside of introducing you to what it is we're about to head into, this material, it's provided a lot of learning opportunities, and it's not all linear. So I'm going to try and address it all, but if I was to try and do it all in one go, just working our way top through bottom, it would end up sort of being hodgepodge and jumping all over the place. And that, I mean, that's fine if all you're doing is listening to this. It'd be entertaining and fun and interesting and whatnot. But if you, if we want it to be useful, then we kind of have to keep it topical. Like we focus on this, this particular topic and, and this other topic next. And that's what I'm going to attempt to do is kind of force some kind of topical structure onto it. But to do that, we've got to have to make several passes through the material each time having its own focus. And so I imagine that we're probably looking at a three or four part series for this. And the first episode or two is likely just going to be audio only. I'm going to start by reading to you the information that comes with this piece, tells us what we're looking at, what the questions are. And then we'll read the submission itself, which is only, it's just barely 500 words. So it's short, which means that it's really easy to work with and it's not a big deal to read it a bunch of times. And then um, from there, I'll give you my impressions, my overall impressions, and I'll probably be the first show. And then the second one, we'll move on to answering the questions in a more specific, general sense. Um, and then after I've sort of given the overview of answering the questions, then we'll move on to do the hands-on stuff and move to video. And I will go through the material and, and try and stick to the topics and then do a line edit and whatever. It's a lot messier than even that sounds because no story element stands alone by itself. Everything is intertwined. And sometimes it's impossible to talk about one thing without bringing into the things that surround it or whatever. But I'm going to try and do my best. This material, as I said, was sent in by MZ Lowe. And MZ, who is either very smart or who has been burned one too many times by me butchering pronunciations in the past, or maybe both, has changed the character names for easier podcast reading. So I don't even know what the real names <laughs> that are. That is brilliant. <laughs> if, we, if we had an applause sound effect, I would introduce it here. Yay! Okay. So the genre is paranormal, cozy mystery. And here's the setup. The setup is leading into the story's climax, which occurs in the next chapter. Becca is the main, main character, and this entire story is told through her point of view. In this scene segment, Becca, our point of view character, and Patty, her friend, have just raced to and arrived at a parking lot where Tom and Fred are fighting over Patty's love and attention. Tom and Fred are human animal shifters, so it would be unrealistic for either woman to attempt to intervene and stop the fight. The goal, MZ says, instead of using the fight as the basis for bringing tension to this scene, I wanted to focus on Becca's feelings of helplessness at being unable to stop the fight. To do this, I brought in bits of flashback to heighten her tension by triggering memories of a traumatic time in Becca's life 
when she also felt helpless. Because this is a cozy, I need to treat the current and past violence with a lighter touch, but also evoke emotion and tension. So here we have a series of questions about flashbacks and pacing inside this fight scene. And I'm not going to try and answer them right off. I'm just going to read them so that, that we have them in mind as we head into reading the actual little segment that got submitted. So here's the first question. Is it better to sprinkle flashbacks and physical reactions in between the block and tackle description of the fight or to delve into the flashback and come back to it a single time? So a single entry and exit of the flashback or back and forth between real time and flashback? That's the question. The next question is, would your advice on that change if the the point of view was Fred or Tom. Next question. Is it better to stick with more telling of the past to keep the pacing fast or to go all out in show, don't tell? In other words, if you're going to do a flashback, then do it fully. And do your answers change if this was the actual climax of the story? That is, does weight of the scene matter? And is it better to pick a flashback that most readers have experienced, like playground bullying, hit on personal resonance, or go for the traumatic past that haunts the character? This story is a work in progress, so this option is still flexible. And now we have the questions on evoking emotion in the reader. Is evoking emotion in the reader more than just conveying the stakes? Is it better to remind the reader of the stakes in the heat of the battle or just prior, like on the way to the parking lot, for example? Or is it better to leave it implied and not be so in your face and not be so in your face about it? This is a single point of view story, but obviously each character has a different stake in the outcome of the fight. Is it better to stay focused on the stakes for just the point of view character or to expand the stakes to include everyone. And that is the end of the explicit questions. And I love, love every single one of those. And I love them specifically because we have actual example to work with in answering them. So here's where the segment starts, which is mid scene at the parking lot. Patty yelled, stop it, you bloody bastards. That caught their attention. Tom's nose was bleeding and Fred sported a black eye, but they refused to let go of each other's throats. They panted hard and growled, their animals pushing to the fore. Patty strode toward the men. I am not some freaking prize at a jousting match. Becca didn't trust the feral gaze consuming those two. They weren't hearing Patty through their bloodlust, so she tugged the woman closer to her side and shuffled backwards. Good thing, too. Tom kicked free and rolled into a crouch. In a blink, both men shifted to their animals. Werewolf versus snow leopard wasn't going to end well for anyone. Foolish to step in the middle of those razor-sharp claws and teeth. She preferred not to get shredded again. With a firm grip on Patty, Becca looked around for help. Still no alpha or police. Typical. Always alone. A blood-curdling snarl drew Becca's attention back to the men. Fred's wolf lacked the grace and speed, but he knew how to fight with a terrifying viciousness. 
Becca's lungs burned, closing off her windpipe. Not now. Please not now. But her mind succumbed to the horrid memories trapped in a cage, watching men forced to fight death matches and desert warlords betting on winners. Tears pricked her eyes, fists clenched, metal bars rattling in her ears. She had failed another dead. Stop it. Stupid. Focus. Instead, her heart bruised her ribs with its beating. She hated this weakness, but the nightmare didn't care. Smells of sweat and blood turned her stomach. She pinched her thigh, noticed the details. She squeezed her eyes shut and opened them, freezing temperatures against her skin, mountains behind the building, and no weight of a camera around her neck. Right, Alaska. No longer a photojournalist kidnapped, praying for rescue. Pixel by pixel, the past released its images and breaths became easier. Patty lunged, but Becca hugged the woman to her chest. She couldn't stop the desert spectacle and save the men all those years ago, but by everything holy, she would protect Patty. Fred's wolf latched onto the throat of Tom's snow leopard. Tom clawed and batted, drawing more blood, but Fred held fast, victory assured. Patty lunged again and shrieked the cry of an animal caught in a metal trap, but Becca yanked backwards with all her strength. She swore she heard ghosts screaming from the past. She must stop the madness. Jail time would be worth it, penance for then and now. With one hand, she rummaged through her satchel for the alert whistle. Becca blasted long and loud. All the shifters in a six-block radius howled in pain, but at least that also included Fred releasing the snow leopard. Too bad the distraction didn't last, as he recovered first and bit again. Thankfully, Alpha Tate arrived, rubbing his ears. Fred, release him. Stand down, son. And that's where this segment ends. One um, fun that stands a little bit outside the discussion of this whole, um, the questions and everything else, is it's a note that MZ included in with the introductory material. And she says, as a side, I made a point earlier in the story to foreshadow the fact that Becca always carries an alert whistle in her purse, the emergency kind that can be heard for a mile and illegal in the this paranormal town. I wanted to avoid slowing the pace here to take the time to convince the reader it's not a contrived happenstance, which it totally was during drafting. And I was so happy that she included that little insight into the explanation. It wasn't necessary. Like, it, we didn't need to know that in order for where we are with just this small segment of the story in front of us to make sense. But it's a really good example of oh, how do I put this of, of of how the drafting process works. Like as you go through it and you write, the story begins to take shape, and you realize, oh wait, that's not going to make sense in this particular moment, or that might feel contrived in this particular moment, and you don't necessarily fix it in that moment. You fix it by going back and and making sure the information that came prior to that leading up to that works so that when you hit that scene, it makes perfect sense because all the groundwork has already been laid ahead earlier. That's exactly what she did here. And it reminds me a little bit of how people will say to me about how my characters just seem so smart and, you know, how did they catch that? And she knew this at the right time, all those things. And and um, they think that I must be really smart to be able to write a character that that's smart, but it's not like that. It's like we'll get to that part in the story and I realize, oh, she needs to figure this out here. So for her to come to that conclusion here, I need to go back and line up whatever it is she see, saw 
or picked up on or sensed and make sure that's sorted out ahead of time so that by the time she gets to this part, it makes her look like she's on top of it and knows what she's doing and it doesn't seem contrived. And if you've done the job well in foreshadowing or setting up what needs to happen for your characters, you're going to look really smart (laughs) because it's going to fit together really well. But it doesn't mean that you have to be that smart from the get-go. It is very much a two steps forward, one step back thing. And maybe there are a few writers who just have the whole thing mapped out ahead of time and in their head, and they do not veer off from this path that they have set for themselves. But based on my experience, the experiences that have been described for me from every other person I know, it is very much a forward, back, forward, back, drafting, drafting again, fixing things again process. And fiction is not written. Fiction is rewritten. And the power is not in that initial draft. It's in the multiple drafts that follow. So I just thought that was such a perfect example of that principle. And I just was really excited to be able to share it with you. So moving back to what we were talking about before, and we just got finished reading this 500 word segment. And I have a few first impressions from reading it. First is, well, this is a scene in which the main character, the point of view character, is only an observer to the action, not an actual participant. And writing an action sequence or a fight scene from within a point of view character's head is a very different thing than writing it from an observer's head. And I think that the author's choice to focus the scene's tension on the emotional state of the observer rather than use the fight itself to build that very, very smart choice, regardless of what genre it was or how the violence needed to be handled. To me, that's a choice that says this is an experienced storyteller who knows what they're doing. Because it shows that the author understands tension and conflict uh, as, as just sort of this base understanding of what it is and knows that it's not just fights and action and bad stuff happening, that true tension, true conflict comes from the emotions that are conjured within the reader. And it's never the stuff that's happening on the page that makes the reader feel or care. It's who that stuff is happening to. And it's how we feel about the character and how the character feels about it. And so this choice to use the point of view character's observations and her feelings, her own stress, as a way to channel that the tension, to me, that choice nails and understands That choice nails an understanding of conflict and tension perfectly. So that was like the first thing that jumped out at me is this person is a person who knows what they're doing. They're not trying to make this scene something that it's not using the, the elements that already exist. They use them correctly. The second thing that I noticed is that the prose is very sparse. It's very clean. And I give huge props to that, not just because it's quite challenging to do, but because that's how I write. Uh, I'm really trying to minimize needless words and just keep it clean and simple. 
the language, clean and simple, without all the filler and over-explanations and whatever. But there's a hidden danger in sparse writing. And, well, there's this basic toxicology maxim that applies to a lot of things. And I think it applies here in this case, where it says the dose makes the poison. And I, I was familiar with that, but I went and Googled it, of course, and the internet credits the full saying to Paracelsus, I'm not sure, Paracelsus, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, who expressed it as all things are poison and nothing is without poison. The dosage alone makes it so a thing is not a poison. And that concept, when applied to the written word specifically, is basically saying it's possible to go so far in attempting to eliminate unnecessary words that you flip back around to the beginning again, and that the lack of wordage can create flow issues. And flow issues are what arise when something important like a fact, a detail, an understanding, a specific visual, it exists inside the author's head and it, it matters to the story, but it never actually makes it onto the page. And the sparseness itself then becomes its own kind of grit. And there are a few places in this segment where I feel like that's happened. The third thing that jumped out at me was an issue with flashbacks. And I was like, yay, that's fantastic. And not at all a coincidence because that's what so many of the questions were relating to. And so that's going to be the first series of questions that we attempt to work through in regards to this piece, those flashback questions. But I don't know how we're doing on time. We are out of time. So Taylor will be addressing <laughs> those questions next week. All right. So we have set up the setting and we know what we're heading into. And next week, we are going to be talking primarily about flashbacks, not just how they relate to the scene, but flashbacks in general. And it's going to be a lot of fun. So I want to thank you guys for being here. And I hope you're excited about what comes next as I am. And I wanted to wish you a very happy new year. And let's go kick some writing in the butt one word at a time. <laughs>